Designated Driver with Celestian. Today we're talking to Jan Osveren, a guitarist, producer and composer who's worked with Shakira, Jennifer Hudson, Frank Ocean, Corinne bailey Ray, Jesse J, literally to name a few. And um, I'm guessing, Jan, you'd normally be on tour or performing or, I guess, in the studio. So I guess we'll just start with the obvious. And um, how has, um, you know, the lockdown period been for you? Have you managed to stay creative in doing some studio stuff, I guess, whilst you can't be out on the road? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've definitely stayed creative. Um, I know it's been a bit of a trying time. Um, started out a little uncertain because, you know, we we were gearing up for some some touring this year. I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, we've been working a lot with Charlie Puth in the last few years, and I, and I, you know, he he's always releasing material, and um, uh, you know, that always comes with some promo promo and some touring and. You know, we were looking forward to that this year, and and uh, and and then things got quiet. Um, but I have this great luxury of having a studio mm. um, in Los Angeles, so you know, whenever whenever I'm home, I'm always in here working on um, a number of things. I mean, I, I I do a lot of sessions. I do a lot of recording sessions mm. in this studio. Um, I have quite a nice setup that's kind of evolved over the years, and. Um, and then if I'm not doing sessions, I'm, I'm, I'm writing, I'm, I'm sketching ideas for my own, uh, content and, but you know, the guitar sessions and do, they, they do, they do take up a lot of time and I'm really, I'm really lucky to, to be able to do that. And, you know, producers will send me stems, yeah. um, and you know, I, I throw it into pro tools and, uh, craft it from there and sometimes these sessions can they can they can take up to a day you know I could be layering any anything up to 12 stems of you know doubled acoustics and and uh, you know different rhythm electric sounds and take my time with it and craft so that it all kind of interlocks and then send it out by the end of the day and you know, it's 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 fun actually to to kind of have that control myself in this in this space, and the, you know, the producers tend to like what what comes out of it at the end. Yeah, oh, that's kind of a godsend, I guess, at the moment uh, that you can still do that side of things. But when did you first get into producing? Then I'm guessing you were a guitarist first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think probably pro- I, I was producing early stuff way back when I was at college um, after I left high school and. You know, then then the the live stuff took over, and um, I then started to collect new pieces around 2010 uh, when I got I got off off tour from uh, yeah I, w- I was out on the road with Alejandro Sanz, this mm-hmm. big Spanish singer, for about two years, and then and then at the end of that, I started to build new pieces um, that eventually became what is now my go you know anything from universal audio preamps to uh you know getting the monitors getting better and then and then moving into a space that uh allowed me to actually mic up my cabinets and um and i always found that was the best way to to rec- you know to do really high quality guitar sessions was to really do it in the most traditional way you know mic it up in various in various different ways and of course that's that's how I got quite particular with the speakers that I use, mm-hmm. um, you know, along with a variety of different amps. And that evolved to this day. 
you know, I'm I'm always um, I'm always looking into new platforms to use. I mean, I, I basically I'm I'm quite traditional, really. I, I use Marshall and an offender platform, mm-hmm. um, basically, and then and then it can branch out from there. Production started um, back when I was a lot younger, and then I kind of returned to it in more recent years through doing a lot of recording. If I, with recording guitar, it then um, led me back to producing full. So I guess going back to when you started out, I suppose, when did you first realise that you def- you wanted to pursue being a guitarist, you know, seriously? So, for instance, when was your first big break as a session musician? I think I always wanted to be a session guitar player, as long as I can remember. I remember, like, you know, one of my one of my favourite memories is just, just, is just being at the bus stop, um, going from my folks' house to, to the flat that I lived in when I, when I left high school and um, with you know a couple of mates from college, and I used to listen to all these recordings, um, these live recordings like Jackson's live in, in, in 1981, mm-hmm. and um, Rufus, Rufus and Shaka Khan stomping at the Savoy, and and uh, you know I got this opportunity later on to work with a, the with a producer called Nitin Sawney, who's still quite celebrated in the UK. And in Europe, um, the band was really was really eclectic, and um, you know it was it was a big band. We and we and we tried a lot of different sounds, and and it, and it really kind of taught me to how to approach things very quickly. We were able to to do a lot of different styles in one in, in like one hour and a half performance, and you know, from that it, it, it led on to, to to my network branching out further. And I and I ended up doing. I got really lucky, and I got. I started working with this uh, percussionist called uh, Trilok Goti, and he was me back to the ECM period of, of jazz fusion. He worked a lot with a, a guitar player that I idolised a lot, called John McLaughlin. Um, so you know, I was I was building my my resume at the time I was like in my early 20s I just left college and and then eventually you know it led on to meeting people that were involved with Korean Bailey Ray you worked you were with her touring band obviously and you appeared on every recording and promo set with her until late 2007 so what an incredible artist to have worked with for so long as well so what was that period of your life like when you were touring with her it was eye-opening yeah, yeah it was amazing it was everything that I wanted at the time um, I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to get to, to work in America and, um, I wanted to, uh, you know, get to, to, to really craft show mm. with an artist that I respected. And, uh, you know, we got to do that. We, we started in 2005 and she, you know, I, I met her manager and, um, he said that he had this, this, this bunch of songs with this fantastic new singer. Um, and you know, I, I heard them, and I thought, "Wow, this is just gonna—it's just gonna take off." And, and sure enough, we we did we did a performance on Jules Holland, where it was just me and her. And then uh, you know, it, it it just snowballed from there for her. And uh, we ended up within six months, we were across Europe, and we were um, you know starting to do promo in the US. And I'd always wanted to get to the US because I you know got, I was. I'd listened to a lot of American 
musicians. And so, you know, that's that's kind of where it, where it was with the ground zero for me. I have a lot of influences that have, that have shaped the way I play guitar and, and approach my music. But one of them in particular was this kind of this really, really well-crafted American tradition. Um, you know, things like Quincy Jones and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, those, the, way, the way Luther Vandross used to arrange his productions and, and the way that the instruments used to interlock there. So, you know, when, when we did get to, to, to play in America, it was just like, it was like arriving. And then, and then you know, I started to meet all of these musicians that were and still are, you know, relevant. And it was it was just amazing, you know. We and then we eventually, I think, you know, eventually we started to. Eventually, we we did a double bill tour with with John Legend, and that was an eye opener. Just seeing how they shaped their two hour show. Uh, yeah, I, you know, became really good friends with Top at the time, and we hung out a lot. And yeah, it was it was a great adventure, and and you know, it introduced me to a lot of people that I am still friends with today. And um, help me. But then you know, it's especially you know when I, the idea that I was going to move to America started to really emerge at that point. Mm. And then, and then uh, you know, about a year after we got back, I I, I made the leap. Wow, and it's clearly worked out for you because uh, you know we just touched on some of the names you've worked on. There's loads more. I know you've worked with. Um, Nicole Scherzinger as well, Camila Cabello, I think that was recently, Shakira, Frank Ocean, so incredible artists. So do you think it's a, yeah. a case of sort of, you know, gaining that good reputation and then a sort of domino effect, your name gets put forward, is that kind of how it works for you? Yeah, um, it's hard to say exactly. I mean, you, you, kind of, you kind of do everything you can. I'd say that's probably the, the, the best way of looking at it. Um, the... Definitely, like pinpointing the musical directors that are really busy at any given time is a good is a good way of really quickly, uh, like like building your network so that you can continue working. Um, as soon as you get off one thing, then you kind of you know make it known that you're available again, and 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 then some, and then hopefully an, another musical director that you know might have something lined up, and so that that's how it worked for me at the time. I think when I moved to America, it was a bit ironic because I ended up getting called to do to, to work with with Alejandro Sanz, uh, who is of course based in Spain, and and so that was that was a bit of a, an immediate departure. But then when I got back in 2011, that I'd, I'd had the time to really nurture my relationships, both on a on a musical but also a social level, like in in Los Angeles. So then, when I got back, that, that's when I, I, you know, that's when we started to work with with singers like Jesse J and uh, and Nicole Scherzinger, and yeah, there was there was a period of time where, there where I was working a lot with with a musical director called Nissan Stewart, who was very busy putting together a lot of bands for different artists. And at the same time, that year in 2011, Ricky Minor put me in touch with Jennifer Hudson. Mm. So, you know, when I wasn't, when I wasn't on tour with, or, or doing, doing promo with some of those other artists, I would then do shows with Jennifer Hudson. So that kept me really busy. And then, you know, over time, it just kind of builds. Mm. Frank Ocean came about a little later on, also through, through Ricky Minor. 
uh, if you don't know, Ricky Minor is a is a really well established musical director in in, in LA who, mm-hmm. who was he, he uh, was the band leader for the Jay Leno show for a long time and has also been the the principal band leader for mo- for the American the heyday of the American Idol. Oh, I see. Okay, good man to know then. Sure. Really. And you know his legacy goes back to being a musical director for Whitney Houston throughout the 80s and 90s. So, you know, he's really uh, like a, an established guy out here. And, uh, you know, he put me in touch with, with Frank Ocean in 2013 and, and Channel Orange had just come out. So, yeah, we, we, we jumped on the road. It's, it, it's, it's funny how it works. I mean, you, one minute you're working on, on, on one thing and then an opportunity arises and then out of nowhere you're suddenly on this whole other path. You know what I mean? It just yeah. kind of um, happens very quickly. And when you're kind of thrust in, I guess, with a new artist or something, um, how long are you given typically to learn a song or a bunch of songs? Or it, it, I expect it's very quickly that you're expected to pick <clears> them up. It, it varies. You know, back in the day when we were doing Karen Bailey Ray, we had, I remember we rehearsed a lot. When we, Whenever we weren't actually doing something, we would go back in and rehearse. But we were a lot younger. And I think, you know, management saw that we we could we could use all the time that we could find mm. but then as the years went on i remember putting together a two-hour show no it was probably an hour and a half show for nicole scherzinger and we put that together in a week oh wow and i remember being quite kind of overwhelmed by that idea but then by the end of the week it felt very natural i think the more you do it the the, the faster you get a retention that's one of the the big like the, the the key factors of developing your skills as a session musician is is how you nurture your skills of retention because there's different methods to do it. There's this you can think of it visually, and you can also think of it in terms of musical theory, and you just kind of piece it together all with with these different thought processes very quickly. So yeah, sometimes we we would put together a show in in, in as little as a week. I think the Frank Ocean tour was was maybe a two week rehearsal period. Wow, a whole time. Um, yeah, it's funny. It it, it comes it comes together fast. They're long days, and you, and you just and and you have to love that. Yeah, you'd have to love that to put in all that time, and that's why I guess musicians are so fortunate because they do just love what they do. Yeah, I'm definitely I definitely love it now as much as I ever have. And um, you mentioned earlier you've been working with Charlie Puth a lot recently um, and you were on the recording for the song Attention, which went to number one. Obviously, everyone's going to know that because it's literally always on the radio. Um, so was it like being part of such a huge song and hearing it on the radio so much? That was a really cool thing to happen. Firstly, I recorded the, the, the live guitars that are on that recording. I, I recorded in my studio. Okay. So that was a really nice feeling to know that, you know, that, the, the the stuff that I was putting out from my studio was was a, was good enough to to be on a song that big mm. and um, you know it, it it was it's one of those things that you didn't see coming from my perspective at least it, it, you know he, he he sent me as he still does I just I did another song for him just about a, a about a month ago during the lockdown. Mm. Yeah, we did, we did another one in quite a similar way. Um, you know, he sent me the stem, the, the, some, some of the, the married stems mm-hmm. and, um, 
And I just, there are some things that he, he asks for very specifically. And then he, and then at the end, he just says, and, and, and then give me the kitchen sink. So then I can cherry pick from that. Um, so, you know, I just did it like I would do any other session. And then a couple of weeks later, a couple of weeks later, he sent me the finished product and I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is amazing. Um, so, you know, I, I it wasn't like you, I was in the moment recording. It wasn't like we knew it was going to be huge, but then, but then it just comes out of nowhere in a way. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's just sort of, and uh, I remember at the time it was, it was, it felt a little bit like lockdown then because we were, we were on the road first tour that I'd done with him in, in 2016 and it got cut short because unfortunately he got sick and we all went home. We, we were in this full swing tour and then suddenly we all went home. So it wasn't like he stopped. He just literally he just got sick for that moment. Mm. And, um, but then he didn't stop working and, and, and there, and you know, then we recorded that, that record and it was, it was killer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm sure I've heard it today as well. It's, it's literally in my head since I've been talking to you, but sort of subliminal like that, isn't it? Can literally hear what your guitar part literally sounds like on that. So yeah, it's definitely catchy and deserves to be on the radio a lot because, <laughs> you know, some of them come and go and you don't remember them, but that one definitely remember that one. Yeah. His style is quite demanding. It's kind of with, with when it comes to guitar and in fact, you know, a lot of his recordings, the only live element that, or the, rather that he hasn't played himself because he does a lot of programming and he plays all the keys and he does all the, the um, these amazing stacked vocal arrangements. And But often the, the extra element that he pulls in is, is the guitar, but, it, but he doesn't, he doesn't want it to be too guitar-y. Um, it, it, it serves as a very, as a, as like a rhythmic aspect to, to the production. So it's quite, you have to play it really tight mm. and disciplined. Yeah, you know what I mean. It, 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 it's quite it's quite tricky. You know? I've got a really nice clip of you with him on the Today Show, actually, and this is the song "Suffer." Really awesome, by the way. Um, do you remember this quite well? <laughs> there, there, I was saying it's it, it, the the guitar isn't always very guitar-y, and of course that <laughs> he's is, literally that, giving you a whole solo there. You can see the look on his face, and our yeah, listeners can't see, but he's turning around to look at you to kind of encourage you, isn't he? <laughs> that is very guitar. It's uh, very guitar. <laughs> that yeah, of course. That so suffer is is a deep track from his first record, mm. and the way we arranged it live was to go mm. all the way gospel, all the way blues, all the way R&B. Um, so that, you know, gave us a platform to, to flex a bit more as musicians. And of course, he's an amazing musician himself, so he welcomes that. Yeah. I think when it comes to the radio hits, there's a headspace there, which is very disciplined. And I really respect that. Mm. Um, but then when we go live, we 
go away from the arrangements on pretty much every song that we play. Mm, that's interesting. We did, we did the voice notes tour in 2018 and, and we, we're all really, we're all quite proud of it. I think we were able to try of different musical ideas and we're all fans, the, the, all the members of the band are fans of the music and not just one particular style. Mm. Like we're all very influenced by all these different traditions. And so, you know, that that's a good example of, of um, this, you know, when we did Suffer, on on today's show, that's a good example of of where we where we like to take it. Um, I was actually using definitely would have been backline. It, I, I've used the same backline configuration on a lot of the shows I've done when I had to travel okay, yeah, and sense. not take my own gear. I've, I've used the, I've used pretty much the same thing for the last decade. I mean, anything to be honest. So I, I, I I'm always trying to get the production to to rent and that incorporates celestian speakers Mm -hmm. because i feel like it's not just the amp that defines you know defines how you're going to sound it's such a big part of it as well and with smaller setups when you're using like small combos like old fender deluxes and and princeton's they have a certain voice, which I also love, but they're not necessarily full frequency spectrum, full full bandwidth. They have a they have a particular voice. But when I'm trying, when I'm doing a gig that demands a lot of different sounds, be it clean stuff, ethereal stuff, and then big beefy solos, I kind of have to have I have to have a speaker that translates a lot of different voices. Mm-hmm. And I find that Celestian always will speak the best. And that's definitely what that was on that recording. Uh, the software recording, it, it, it would have been a Marshall two, uh, JCM 2000 into a cabinet with Vintage 30. You know, on the Today Show, you got to do three more songs. So we would have done, we probably would have done Attention and we would have done um, One Call Away. It, it, you can imagine very different sounds. Yeah, I mean, totally one is different. B, one is an old... It, but yeah, I can. I, I'm, I feel comfortable when I've got that set up. I can do pretty much anything I need to. Awesome. Well, it's clearly working for you if you're kind of taking it around and insisting on the same kind of setup. What about for um, when you work with Jennifer Hudson? Why don't we um, listen to this clip first, actually? So this is you with the song "Remember Me" on Ellen's show. So another huge show that you've been on. So, yeah, totally different sound, you know, to the Charlie Puth one. But um, what do you know what you're using on this performance in particular? Can you remember? Uh, if I remember correctly, that would have been my JTM 45 head into a backline 412, um, which was probably, it was probably not vintage days. It was a front Marshall cabinet, which I believe, yeah, I believe it has... 25 watt greenbacks in it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to, to gear. I think I think you've got to be. 
got to be. Um, got to be. Sound, sound is important. When you know, sound is as important for me as 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 important as uh, musical content and the lyrical content. I mean, sound is everything. It comes from that UK tradition of like really, of experimenting with sound. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I would have been very particular then, as I am now, about what I what I got the what what I would have rented for that show. The recording is quite stripped back. So when we did it live, we just kind of, we found a way to build it to the point that that, that that bridge section would have been the heaviest. And that's where you can hear me go a little bit, a little bit rock with it. Mm. I mean, it's quite a, quite a restoring part that I'm doing there, but we definitely went through some, some kind of sounds. We don't talk about what we're doing uh, it, it gets to the point where when you rehearse with different bands, you kind of just do what you do. And my role there would be to sort of be loyal to the to the record and then mm. figure out a way to, to, to sort of embellish as the B section comes. And then once we get to the bridge, we're building and, and I would kind of take more of a kind of a rock approach to it and then bring it back to an ethereal one. Mm-hmm. Like kind of the, the, you have these kind of inner, inner dialogues with yourself yes. of what, how you're going to approach each song each time. And often you don't even talk about it with anybody. And, and, and then you, <laughs> and then you go get lunch. Just try it and see. Well, they just trust you, yeah. I suppose, as well, don't you? You're experienced and you kind of get a feel for it and you know what needs to happen, really. You do get a feel for it. and But you, I, I try my best not to get locked into into um, into, into too strict a template. I, I'm, I'm always trying to do something new as much as I can. I know another great example is um, you're sort of keeping up with Jesse J's vocal gymnastics another one this is on the ellen show actually uh but that you can really hear you in this one as well because of the the breakdown of the song so let's have a little listen to this one Again, quite rocky again on that bit actually i've chosen clips like that um so do, do you remember yeah. what you were using for this one then i'm pretty sure that was the dcm 2000 as usual into a 412 with vintage 30s that sounds like vintage 30s to me areas that stand out to me anyway between greenbacks and vintage 30s the green mm-hmm. the greenback is a more of a, it's a traditional rock sound where the lows are quite loose and the highs are a little more papery, whereas the vin- a vintage thirty has this tighter low end, and there's this kind of there's a slight bump mm. in the upper mids, and I can kind of I, I think I could tell that's what that is. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not making it up, but um, that was definitely a, a rocky take on that song as well. Uh, I seem to remember when we did that song, when we did that show rather. We were on, we were supposed to only play price tag, mm. 
And then out of nowhere, they said, we're going to do another song. And I think we'd only rehearsed that a couple of times. Oh, right. <laughs> no so we, we had to wing it. That was, and, and I remember the sound was a bit questionable there as well in our, in our monitoring. So <laughs> we were winging it with a song that we hadn't played very much and, and, I, and we couldn't hear very well. Mm. And then I remember coming off and being a little bit, uh, a bit flustered. Yes. And then the engineer, I remember this really sweet guy that still works at Ellen today, his name's Terry. He said, God, that was such a great guitar tone, you guys. And I was like, oh, man, thanks. I couldn't really hear it. But, <laughs> and, and, then I, and then I spoke to Nissan, the, the, the MD, after the show, and, he, and he'd gone into, the, he'd gone into Terry, to Terry's booth to listen to the recording, and he came back saying it was perfect. And, and, I, and I was like, okay, I, I was relieved. And, then, and I was quite pleased with the way it came out. Yeah, I mean, you'd never, you'd literally never know listening to it that you were winging it. It sounds great um, to the, I guess, the untrained <laughs> ear. Or you can't tell there's no sense of panic on anyone's face anyway. It sounds to me like we're going for it. Yeah. We're going for blood yeah, on, yeah. That, on that recording. Because there's no, there's no choice. There's, no, there's nothing else you can do in that circumstance other yeah. than go for it. Well, I think it paid off. It sounds it sounds excellent to me. <laughs> so just a little bit about, I guess, guitars then, before we get a little bit more into Celestian. Um, so um, can you talk us through your guitar rig and um, I guess your guitar collection, um, which I'm guessing you've probably got quite a nice one at home at the moment. Yeah, I try to keep it all out of the house, actually. I don't, I don't, when I get home, I don't want to see it. <laughs> Fair enough. It is I kind of want to. I had it all, all out in, in my studio and, it, and it's, it's not it's not a massive collection to be honest it's my go-to's really uh, in terms of like if I need a I have a selection of of custom of friend of custom shop mm-hmm. stratocasters and telecasters each with slightly different configurations depending on on what I need to do you know there's there's if you just take for example the three strats that I have one has one one is a very modern set up it has a humbucker on the on the on the bridge so i can i can really take that guitar out and do everything with it if necessary i can i can go all the way from jazz and clean or be all the way to full out mm. rock and roll with that guitar there's a second strat that i have which is as traditional as possible it's got full single coils noisy as can be but the sweetest sounding you can have it and i, and I probably use that only in the studio and then there's the third one which is kind of some it lies somewhere in between it's got some of some of it is like single coils and some of it and and then the back pickup i believe is like a stacked on bucker which has a it's like a voicing of a single coil but it but it has noise cancelling so you know i'm trying to cover all of my eventualities with these three strats for example yeah then i'll have the same approach with with uh, with these three telecasters that i have the same thing applies to to these Les Pauls that I have. I I have one fifty eight reissue custom shop Les Paul USA traditional Les Paul, which I have tuned down to E flat if I need it, and that has some really nice Lawler Imperial humbuckers in it. And then the third Les Paul has P nineties. It's a fifty six gold top. So you know I'm covering the Fender platform and I'm covering the Gibson platform with that. I've got one SG and one 335 
and then I and then I have some some more unique colours. I have a few different Gretches, and I have a Jazz Master and a Baritone, and you know, I'm the way I've approached guitar is it's it's with the ability to have two different mindsets going on at all times. It's 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 the mindset of being able to cover uh, stylistically and kind of and, and in the tradition of guitar and the history of guitar. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the, 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 the parallel mindset, which is being as much me as I possibly can be. Because I think there's a, slight, there's a slight contradiction in those two mindsets that I have, to, I have to live with, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it sounds like you're definitely prepared for every eventuality as well, like you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It sounds, and then if you get, it, it sounds a bit like a cop-out at the end. Like if, if, if you're not committing one particular thing it sounds a little bit uh questionable but then of course when you're talking about the the, the career of, of playing as a session guitar player you you really you know versatility is king mm-hmm. so that's the dance that we we have to live with yeah, all the time okay. and the same applies to my amps and the same applies to my cabinets and the same applies to the <clears throat> to the microphones that i place on those cabinets and the same applies to the preamps that I choose for example um, if you if you think of two distinct worlds being the martial voicing through a particular set of speakers probably you know all the speakers I use are Celestian by the way mm-hmm. um, but if you think of the martial voicing being something that starts from medium gain all the way to tool Metallica. Yeah. And then, and then the Fender platform being something that has more of a kind of a bloomy mid range. Okay. Yeah. That really speaks well for, for more, for, for cleaner sounds, for ethereal sounds and for jazzier sounds. I'm choosing a different preamp to go in with those two different platforms. So I, I really like 610 Universal Audio mm-hmm. uh, preamps for that because it kind of the tube, the tube coloration really speaks well. I feel with combined with that mid-range voicing. Whereas when you move over to the Marshall platform, I really like the way that it, it's captured by APIs, which are solid state. So it all sounds very nerdy and very particular, but it's just kind of stuff that has evolved over the years. This is one of the best things about lockdown, I have to say, is this amazing luxury of time that we had. I mean, it is is a scary time and it's an uncertain time. Mm. I don't want to seem insensitive to that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Um, But... This, with this great luxury of time, I, at the beginning of the lockdown, I got sent six songs to record um, guitars on for for this for this for a singer called a, a Spanish singer called Cepeda. Mm-hmm. He's uh, kind of like the the winner of the Spanish equivalent of X Factor. Okay, yeah, um, and he's he really likes. He's a great singer, he, and he loves he loves this kind of, these kind of big, developed rock and roll guitar layered productions. Um, so the producer sent me the stems of like six songs, and then suddenly the lockdown hit, 
And um, so everything went kind of quiet. So the deadline kind of went away. And I was like, well, at some point they're going to want these songs. But I'm suddenly given this luxury of having a few weeks to really delve into these to these songs rather than, you know, have to knock them out in about four, five days, which you normally would do. Um, you know, I had this luxury to really explore new techniques. So whenever we get these extended periods of time, I always try and, and capitalize on it to, to like get better at what I do. Mm. So I, I started messing with different mic placements and I started trying this new speaker, well, this speaker that's new to me, which is um, something that we talked about is a 65 cream bag. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I hadn't used before. Um, well, I, I w- I've been using G12H30 Celestians for, for many years for my for my Fender for my Fender platform, mm-hmm. um, and I love them. But what I've been looking for is something just with a little bit more sparkle on the top end. And I, and I was also looking for was something that would where the low end would behave in the same way as a vintage thirty, which is which is tighter. When you, with with G twelve H thirties, the low end can be a little bit undisciplined. It's mm-hmm. a bit boom. It can be a bit boomy depending on what amp you're using. Um, so, I tried these cream backs, and I put one cream back in my four twelve, which is which is combined with a bunch of vintage thirties, and then I put another cream back um, in a one twelve. Yeah. Uh, open back cabinet, and and. It was it's it was it just spoke to me immediately. So so this became my <laughs> my new favorite speaker. Mm. So basically, my what I use now is is if I'm if I'm going for a if I'm going for a cleaner or or, or atmospheric sound on guitar, I have a very kind of there's there's a particular chain involved. There's there's obviously the Fender amp itself going to a cabinet that is probably smaller cabinet with an open back so that the lows aren't being pushed out in, in, in one direction. Mm-hmm. And then I will either use a vintage 30 or um, a cream back, 65 cream back. Mm-hmm. And then that will be mic'd up with a condenser that will then go to a Universal Audio 610. When I, when I, we use my, when I use Marshall, it's completely different apart from the speakers. So I'll run from a Marshall to a 412 closed back with vintage 30s combined, a choice of either a vintage 30 or a cream back 65 mic'd with a dynamic microphone mm-hmm. going to solid state APIs. I sound like a... <laughs> I sound like a hermit. No, 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 it's good. Well, we are all kind of hermits at the moment, to be honest, aren't we? It's not your fault. Yes. <laughs> um, I yeah. know in particular the, the, the green, the, um, sorry, the, the 65 Creamback was made kind of in the mid-60s and, you know, it was adopted by people like Hendrix and they had a little bit more of an, uh, an aggressive kind of blues rock style. Is that, yeah. that kind of woody tone or whatever with a greater power? Is that kind of... Um, what appeals to you in that, that kind of vintagey sound? I, I think 
I'm, I'm, I've always been at peace with the idea that the guitar itself is a very vintage mm-hmm. instrument. No matter how futuristic it gets yeah. today, with, with you know, with like eight string tapping campers and, and all these different platforms that, that that people are using now, I still feel that the guitar itself is an instrument. It has this deep history to it, mm. uh, which I, I I always want to um, I always want to allude to. When I, when I'm playing, I always want there to, to that I want there to sound like a, there's a modernity to what I'm doing, but also a history to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just something inherently old school about guitar, which is beautiful, especially in a modern context, because you're, then you're kind of like combining the two senses. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to speaker choices, for me, choosing something that is born out of a vintage voicing it's just the continuation of that idea i think mm. you know vintage 30 was designed uh, I'm, i don't know the full history of the vintage 30 but I, but i'm pretty sure that it was really developed to work <clears throat> with amps as they became higher and higher again yeah. things like diesel the h4s and, and and boogie rectifiers that that pushed a lot of low end so you didn't you know you needed higher wattage if you have if you have four sixty watt vintage thirties, you've got two hundred forty watts to play with. If my math is correct, mm-hmm. um, you, you know it's hard to blow those speakers. So you want the low end to be and disciplined, contain the power that the amp is sending down it. Uh, but then you also don't. With the Vintage 30, for example, you don't want the highs to be too sparkly because there's a lot of distortion information coming down. Mm. So that's why the sort of the upper mid bump serves you well. Whereas when you're using a more of a vintagey sound, you're kind of that's when maybe that, that woodier, bloomy paper, papery sound comes into play, yeah. which I really like with with Fender. A lot of this is subjective. A lot of this is, you know, obviously it's like it's, it's, we're talking about a creative thing here. So it's all subjective. But yeah. I definitely like the vintage sound. Mm, yeah, I can tell. Um, I can definitely tell that from, from listening to you speak about it, actually. Um, but I guess you just get used to what you like and the tones you like and you know what you can do with it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty used to, I'm used to, I, I, I've stuck with what I'm used to, which is heads and cabinets and speakers and I, I think um, you know I've delved into the into the newer technology of impulse responses and there's a really cool technology made by a company called two notes which is which are essentially they're developing load boxes that mm-hmm. then have a speaker sorry cabinet full cabinet emulation so you can essentially run your favorite head so you can you know you get close to to the whole natural sound of the tube saturation mm. in in your favorite amp and then you can go into this uh digital platform which emulates the the speaker part and and i and i've really i've i've, I've got one of those units is called a torpedo live which i love and but if I'm honest, I don't I don't use it very much if at all. It's just there for sort of an emergency. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because 
I can't, you know, the way I play, I can't really get away from the natural sound of, of a full head and, and, and real cabinet with speakers in it. And when it, you know, when it comes to, I've, I've had more engineers than I can count. Yeah. Try and encourage me to, to move over to Kempers and I, and I, and I've tried them and it's just never really, it's never really fitted mm. the way I play. It's really just what works for you. Probably quite old school because I've been doing this for a minute. And and it you know, twenty years. A lot of, a lot of a te- technology changes a lot over twenty years. But I'm kind of stuck with what I started with. That's quite nice though, in a way, isn't it? It's kind of um, seen you through so far. So why change it? Yeah, at the moment, um, it ain't broke. Exactly. Um, I guess looking back on as well, you know, all the the people you've worked with, there must be. Um, some other artists that maybe you haven't worked with yet that you'd love to? Are there any that spring to mind for you that you think, oh, I'd just love to work with them one day and Ooh. play with them? There must be loads, I'm guessing. Tough question. <laughs> Tough question. Um, as I've gotten a little older, I think my, I hope this isn't a cop-out in, in answering this question, but I think what I, my ultimate would be to, to get to a place where I'm recording only my own catalogue, my own. My own uh, oh, okay. No, excellent answer. It never gets old working with with amazingly talented artists, um, but I definitely I'm, I'm excited to 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 record more of my own material. That doesn't necessarily mean recording an album in the traditional sense. Mm. I think for me, any kind of content is is exciting. Yeah. Be it for you know for television, um, continuing to record just guitar within the context of other people's productions, and I'm really I'm really lucky that I that, that within within this studio and also you know eventually when we do get out of the out of the lockdown, you know with the music, different musicians I work with, I'm just I'm just so lucky to get to explore that that whole variety of things you can do as a musician. Mm. You know I, I love I love reinterpreting the music uh you know that have been that's been recorded by artists love recording the guitars for their albums and i and i love coming up with brand new music myself i think the whole the whole spectrum of it is what excites me rather than any one particular thing no that's fair enough and um i guess it's hard to say i guess at the moment but you know throughout the rest of the year what can you see yourself um, working on and working towards. Do you think you'll be, um, you know, in your studio working perhaps on your own music while you know live events and that side of things isn't you know up and running yet? There's a number of friends that I have that are already working themselves on content for either placements for singers, but or or, or um, more like a TV film medium, mm. and I'm really excited to to work with them on on any of those circumstances but then also just continuing to to take in uh stems from producers to to do sessions at my studio i think it's just going to continue the same i mean in in some ways nothing's changed but i think you know we've just had we've all had an opportunity to expand our skill sets a little bit and explore what we really want to do but i 
I think for me, it's it's just going to be more of the same. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Why not? Um, yeah, well, it's good you can do lots of bits from home still as well. And then we'll just all have to wait and see collectively, won't we? About what the hell is going to happen? Yeah, what are we all? What are we all? What's it all about? What next? Oh, I don't want to know what's next. How the, this year's going? But um, <laughs> okay. yeah. um, well, um, thank you so much, Jan, uh, for talking to us today. It's been a real pleasure just to get to know you and hear about you know your musical journey and Celestian and all these amazing artists you've worked with. So um, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Oh, thank it's, you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, uh, well, I hope you have a great day and um, hopefully speak to you again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Jan. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.